Hi there, I'm Jazzy Cook and you're listening to Dance Season 2, an evidence-based, research-informed dance science podcast. Imogen originally trained as a dancer before specialising in dance science. She holds a BA Ons in dance and an MSc and PhD in dance science. Imogen is a senior lecturer in dance and dance science at the University of Bedfordshire, where she led the MSc dance science for almost a decade. Imogen's research interests include dance psychology, the health and well-being impacts of dance, and talent identification and development in dance, particularly in inclusive contexts. Imogen has published over 30 articles and chapters in numerous journals and academic texts and has presented her research internationally. She worked with the International Association for Dance Medicine and Science for 10 years as part of their publications committee and is a peer reviewer for several academic journals and textbooks. Imogen is regularly invited to speak at events and is a guest tutor in dance science at the University of Bern in Switzerland. She also conducts research and writing on a freelance basis and is a life and wellbeing coach. Hi Imogen, it's so great to have you on. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you very much for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad at all. Um, Could you just start by telling us a bit about yourself, a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are now and a bit about where your interest in dance science comes from? Sure. So I'm currently a senior lecturer in dance and dance science at the University of Bedfordshire, where I ran our MSc dance science course for almost a decade. Um, But I've danced my whole life. Um, I first came across dance science, probably GCSE or A-level sort of dance. Um, And we had to learn a bit about things like anatomy and nutrition and a tiny bit of psychology. Um, And I always find it really interesting. But at that point, and this is a long, long time ago, um, I didn't realise it was its own area or its own field. and, And not many people were calling it dance science back then. I then did my undergraduate in dance at Roehampton University and again we were introduced to a bit of dance science um, at which point I heard about the new as it was then masters in dance science at Laban which is now Trinity Laban. So the course was pretty new at the time but I was intrigued by the area and thought it sounded really exciting and I'd got to the point in my training where I was quite realistic about the fact that I had neither the talent nor the commitment to work as a performer Uh, but dance was still my passion and I wanted to find a way to continue working in the field and I've also always been a bit of a geek if I'm completely honest and so the sort of academic side of dance science appealed to me as well Um, and luckily I absolutely loved the, the masters it set me on track for my career and I found everything on the course fascinating but I developed a particular interest in psychology and that's why I've continued to work in um, ever since. After graduating I found some work as a freelance hourly paid lecturer at a few colleges and universities um, teaching dance technique and eventually managing to kind of shoehorn some dance science um, into those programs. And during that time, it was just one of those serendipitous things. I was living down the road from one of the campuses of Middlesex University, where Sanna Norden Bates was working at the time, who I know you know as well. And I'm sure many listeners will have come across her work too. Um, And I just said, do you need any help? Are you doing any research? I'll do data entry. I'll do anything you want. Um, I just wanted to get some experience, you know, and um, do some volunteering. Um, And from there, we ended up doing a couple of uh, research projects together and then ended up working together back at Trinity Laban with Emma Redding uh, on a longitudinal project investigating talent development in dance. 
and I did my PhD as part of that project. And after that, I did my postdoc looking at talent development in inclusive contexts. And then I got my job at the University of Bedfordshire, and I've been there ever since, running the MSc, teaching on undergraduate and postgraduate courses and conducting research. Um, my research tends to fall within the three main areas, so I'm still really interested in talent development, especially in inclusive contexts, so looking at how we can train young disabled dancers. Um, I also conduct research into freelancers in dance, which is what we're going to talk about today, and also looking at the health and we, uh, well-being impacts of dance. Um, and we've done a couple of projects recently looking at intergenerational dance projects, so where younger and older people work together in dance and what the kind of outcomes of those are. Amazing, yeah. So like you just said there, we're going to look at freelancers in dance today, which I think is such an important area to cover. And I haven't really, I guess I've touched on it throughout all of the episodes, but I haven't done anything focused on it. And given that it's quite a large part of my audience, I hope that this one will be really useful. So could you just introduce us to this area and um, tell us a little bit about what a freelancer's working life is like and what do we know about this area already from research? Sure. So just to define it, first of all, in case we have some listeners who aren't sure exactly what freelancing is, perhaps we have some students thinking, what's that? Um, freelance working is defined as individuals working on a self-employed basis, selling work or services by the hour, day or job, rather than on a full-time salaried contract. So this might include uh, people who work as performers, creators, teachers, managers, producers, um, designers, healthcare providers and researchers. Um, and often it's, it's many combinations of those different roles in what's called a portfolio career. And this approach to work enables people to engage with a range of different communities and develop and apply diverse skills and collaborate with multiple partners. And it's been estimated that there are over 22,000 dancers and choreographers working in the UK of whom at least 17,000 are self-employed. Now, those statistics don't include the range of other dance careers and roles that are out there. So teachers, for instance, would be a, a massive uh, number as well. Um, so those statistics are likely to underestimate the size of the dance workforce, but they do demonstrate that a large proportion, around 80% of dancers and choreographers at least, are freelance. And freelancers take on a range of roles in the dance sector, driving the art form and delivering across various sectors and communities, including arts and culture, education, leisure and tourism, and health and social care. But the ad hoc nature of their work has meant that there's actually little evidence of their activity to inform how the dance sector develops in response to their needs. And um, so prior to my starting working in this area, there were a few publications about freelancers out there, but not many. And they tended to detail the challenges of the career, um, things like unstable working patterns characterised by periods of sort of extreme busyness and then often no work at all. Um, informal working arrangements, so freelancers don't always receive formal contracts for jobs um, and poor rates of pay and few benefits like pension contributions or paid leave. So it felt like there was scope to discover much more. One of the things I kind of was thinking is like, well, if freelance work is so unreliable and so badly paid, why does anyone do it? There had to be more to it than that. And of course, working freelance isn't always a choice. Sometimes it's what we, we have to do to get certain uh, jobs that we want. But if it is all bad, then why do so many people still do it? So that's sort of where I was coming from. Um, so in 2014, my colleague, Rachel Farrow, who's now at Coventry University, had secured some what we call post-ref funding from 
Bedfordshire University to conduct some research into freelancers. Now, apologies for going down a bit of a jargon road here, but for anyone who, any listeners who don't know what the REF is, it's called the it's the Research Exercise uh, Research Excellence Framework, um, and it's conducted every six or seven years, and it's how the quality and impact of research conducted um, by higher education institutes in the UK is is kind of assessed. And if you work at a university and you're research active, there's a good chance your work will be entered into the REF but if you're just starting out it's harder to be included um, so because of this my university was offering some funding to staff who wanted to be part of the REF so kind of to help kickstart their their research if you like so Rachel had successfully applied for this and asked me to work with her. She was doing her PhD at the time and was really interested in freelancers and their working lives, but didn't kind of have the space to fit that area into her PhD as well. But it was important because, as I said, there wasn't really very much out there about freelancers. And, and I mean, literally a handful of publications, and most of them wouldn't necessarily fall within the scope of what I would define as dance science research. So we decided to use a qualitative methodology to interview freelancers in a range of roles to find out more about their working lives, the pros and cons of working freelance, um, and which sort of factors had helped them to succeed. And the project generated quite a lot of interest at the time, because again, it was quite new. Um, and a few years later, One Dance UK decided they wanted to do some more work in the area and were offering a contract to conduct a bigger, more comprehensive project, which Rachel and I were successful in applying for. So that was in 2018. Um, and for this project, we conducted a large scale survey focusing on things like work patterns, rates of pay and well-being, which was completed by 499 freelancers. Couldn't quite get one more to get it to 500, but never mind. <laughs> and we also conducted focus groups with a number of freelancers, um, as well as uh, representatives of organisations who hire freelancers. So we wanted to hear from them as well. And we explored the economic contribution of freelancers to the UK economy as well. And collectively, from these projects, we can describe freelancers as having multifaceted careers. So many participants describe themselves as having portfolio careers or wearing different hats. And they took on numerous roles, which often included teaching, performing, managing and choreography, sometimes simultaneously and sometimes at different times in a year. And within these roles, a significant feature of the participants' descriptions was their understanding of formal and informal roles. So participants highlighted the importance of what we termed informal activity, and that's things like administration, budgeting, accounting, finding and applying for work or funding opportunities, networking to support their work. Um, and they felt that these aspects are actually not often recognised or valued in the same ways as their sort of formal roles. So that's a bit of an overview of the research that we've done and the kind of ways that we might describe freelancers in dance. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much, Imogen. I don't know if you've just covered it covered it there, but what is the role of freelancers in the UK dance sector? Um, and is there much dance science research into this part of the sector? Obviously, you've said there's not a lot. Is there anything else you'd add there? Yes, yeah, so freelancers make up a large proportion of the UK dance industry, but they're an under-researched population in dance science, that's for sure. Um, dance science literature tends to focus on performers, young dancers in training, maybe choreographers, and there will be studies that include freelancers in their data collection, but that's not the focus, um, or their unique work in lives hasn't been the focus. So the work that Rachel and I did, and later in the project with One Dance UK, with our colleagues Lindsay Jenkins and Natasha King, um, these projects definitely serve to address 
address the gap in the literature um, and help us to understand more about freelancers and their needs and from that consequently to consider how we can better value and support them. It's Having said that, it's almost impossible to give a straightforward answer to the question of what role freelancers play in the sector, because the answer is they contribute to every part of the dance industry and beyond. Um, themes that emerged from our analyses including, uh, included developing audiences, not only sort of local art scenes, but audiences in general which also involved actively reaching out to those who hadn't previously engaged with dance, um, supporting peers by acting as mentors and contributing to provision of professional development, nurturing and inspiring the next generation of artists, providing health benefits for participants and creating and facilitating cross-cultural exchanges, both internationally and through local cultural and heritage activity. And organisational representatives that we interviewed, that is people who hired freelancers, were also really clear in articulating the extensive reach that freelancers have, bringing a breadth of voices, experiences, styles and methodologies to the sector alongside a responsive and a creative approach. And supporting the ideas of the freelancers themselves, the organisational representatives felt that um, the longer individuals have been freelancers, the freelance, the more accumulated skills freelancers have to offer. But while they propagate the sector, they're often undervalued. And that's a point I'll come back to later. That's great. Yeah. So what are the main challenges that freelancers face in their careers then? Obviously, there's quite a lot and it's probably hard to specify because it's probably quite broad. But what would you say that the main challenges are? You're right to say there are quite a lot of challenges and I don't want to put people off from um, working as a freelancer, but I'll outline the main ones. Um, the key challenges really that participants described to us were around financial instability and informality of working contracts, um, sometimes lack of structure to their work, so quite unpredictable working patterns, um, challenges managing work-life balance, and sometimes social isolation, so not working as part of a team, um, and also sometimes lack of opportunities for career progression. And one of the key findings that we um, that emerged from our large-scale surveys is that freelancers are highly educated. In fact, over 40% of our survey participants had a master's degree or higher, um, but they're poorly paid. Um, and although there was large variation within our data, the average yearly earnings reported by our participants were well below the national average. And almost half of participants um, had relied upon support from family during training and around a quarter continued to do so once they were working. Work-life balance could also be difficult given the unpredictability of freelancers working lives um, and some freelancers characterise the nature of their work as being continuously intensive, feeling that their workload had, had a detrimental impact on their personal lives and relationships. On the other hand, others had found ways of balancing their work, um, so it's not to say that it can't be done and I think probably the longer that you work freelance the easier it is to figure out um, and perhaps predict when might be busier and when might be quieter. So for instance some participants talked about working working around educational timetables and schedules and that knowing that the summer would be quiet, but it'll get busier in the autumn, for instance. And as I mentioned um, earlier, freelancers also felt that their work wasn't valued 
many reported a sense of hierarchy that pervaded the sector. So roles like um, choreography and performing were valued more highly than teaching or community roles. Um, and the participants themselves didn't endorse these values. And many gave examples of how and why they chose not to follow this kind of career pathway. But they felt that some, somewhere from training, from the industry, there are these sort of implicit messages about which roles are, and I'm using air quotes here, better than others. But some freelancers were optimistic and felt that community dance, for example, was becoming more valued. Um, and it's interesting to reflect on whether or not the pandemic might have had a, inadvertently had a positive effect on this because so many people have joined online dance lessons. So time will tell about that. Um, it is worth pointing out, though, that in spite of the challenges they faced, the freelancers we spoke to were highly motivated by and passionate about their work. They had a real tangible sense of purpose and a desire to contribute to their artistic communities and to society more broadly. Fulfilling multiple roles gave them variety in their daily lives, introduced them to new areas and disciplines and enabled them to grow artistically. And the participants really valued the opportunities that their work gave them to collaborate with other practitioners and feel part of a community. They enjoyed making a contribution to their field through engagement with audiences, participants and fellow artists. And importantly, they measured success not in relation to this kind of hierarchy of different roles and, and um, jobs, but in terms of actually their ability to experience a sense of autonomy and fulfillment in a variety of different roles with regular and fairly paid work that enabled them to contribute to a sector that they felt so passionately about. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's so important, like you just said there, to recognise all the different areas in the challenges and in the benefits, because I think there's so many different, so financial, social, all the different areas that it covers, because there's so much that goes into it. Um, yeah, so why are these different or notable compared to the challenges faced by those who aren't freelancing, so in salaried roles? The key differences are that for freelancers, contracts are often temporary and rates of pay are low. If you compare this with a salaried job where you have a guaranteed income as well as benefits like pension contribution, sick pay and paid leave. Also salaried roles are more likely to offer a rate of pay that's commensurate with experience, but this is less likely in freelancing work. Uh, we spoke to highly experienced and well-known freelancers who were still being offered the lowest rates of pay and typically this wouldn't happen in a salaried job. The other main difference I would say is that freelancers, as I mentioned, do sometimes feel isolated. They don't have a regular team of people that they work with necessarily. Whereas in a salaried job, you're more likely to work with a group of people that you have regular contact with. Um, and it's perhaps especially important for freelancers that they don't feel isolated because actually many of them find work fairly informally through word of mouth and through existing networks. So the more that um, organisations and dance agencies can support freelancers to create those kind of networks, the better in terms of both them finding work and not feeling so isolated. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we touched on last time a little bit, there are psychological factors or aspects of mental skills training that can help dancers who are freelancing. Um, dancers who are freelancing aren't always aware of these. So could you introduce us to this? Um, tell us a bit about what they are and how they can help. So investigating psychological factors was really interesting for me, as my area of expertise within dance science is psychology. Um, so we looked at a range of different things. Um, in the survey, we found that actually, despite the challenges I've described, freelancers had relatively high levels of well-being, 
particularly in the areas of personal growth and having a sense of purpose in life. Um, and this makes sense, as many freelancers described a great sense of satisfaction in pursuing their own artistic vision and taking on the projects that they really wanted to do. The freelancers also reported high levels of grit and grit is a relatively new construct which represents passion and persistence towards long-term goals. And our participants scored an average of 3.9 out of five, um, which indicates they have quite high levels of grit, uh, which is probably crucial in maintaining commitment in the face of setbacks and failure, because grit represents sustained interest and effort over time towards goals that are personally meaningful and important. Interestingly, we found that early career freelancers had higher levels of grit than those in the mid and later stages, which seems kind of counterintuitive, but actually it's probably the case that you need more grit when you're starting out. You need that kind of passion and persistence when you're trying to establish yourself, build a reputation in the face of rejection and difficulties and things like that. And actually perhaps later on in, in your career as a freelancer, um, if you feel that actually you are well established, um, you're confident in who you are, you have a strong sense of autonomy and your profile is out there and people know who you are, you're more in control of what you do. And so therefore perhaps that sort of sense of that passion and persistence is less important. Um, and you mentioned mental skills. So yes, absolutely mental skills is something that we, we sort of talked about qualitatively in our first project. And mental skills are essentially um, we used to call them psychological skills, now we call them mental skills. So they, I think the key thing to, to take home from this, they're things that you can learn. It's not something you're born with or not, it's something that you can actually train for yourself. It's a skill just like any physical kind of skill. Um, and this, the mental skills that really seem to help the freelancers that we spoke to included optimism. So assuming that things will work out. And again, you might think that optimism is kind of you either are an optimist or a pessimist, that's not strictly speaking true. You can change your mindset to become more optimistic. Um, other sort of mental skills that emerged were things like proactiveness and a willingness to try new things. You know, you have to put yourself out there and get out of your comfort zone, which can help to create opportunities and also to foster personal and artistic growth. To fully engage with your field, you need to be curious and open-minded while also having a strong work ethic. And freelancers understood that they they needed to be determined to work hard to persevere um, and that they also understood that establishing themselves would take time so patience and tenacity would help them to persist and succeed in the sector the other mental skill that seemed really important was self-confidence and that was crucial in helping freelancers to present themselves in the best possible light to make new contacts and to continue taking risks in addition to this, two other skills we found that enhanced self-confidence were self-awareness and self-reflection. So having an understanding of your strengths and weaknesses, and that enables you to figure out which projects you should apply for, um, which you might be most successful in, but also reflecting on, on your own work to help you to grow artistically so that you can better meet challenges in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't got this, so if you want a minute to think, feel free to take on. But I was just going to ask, where could dancers start to learn these skills then? So you said they are learnable. Um, and I've got a question at the end about resources for freelancers. But where could dancers begin to work on these mental skills, if that makes sense? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, perhaps the most useful thing to concentrate on would be self-confidence, because I think that's probably something that most people working in dance, well, a lot of people struggle with because it's not something that we um, are necessarily kind of taught to do or encouraged to be, in fact. Um, so 
I can kind of talk through a little bit if it's helpful the sort of idea about some ideas about how to build self-confidence if that's useful because the thing about mental skills is there it's not like you can just sort of there isn't there aren't any courses at the moment you can just go along and be like maybe we're more optimistic and that kind of thing um but yeah I can certainly if it's useful I can give a few ideas in terms of building mental skills then there aren't necessarily courses out there you can just go along and do there are certainly some books out there things like the dancer wellness book by I Adams which has a chapter um, on psychological wellness that myself and Linda Mannering wrote um, it's got some tips in there but something like self-confidence is one that I think is quite difficult because it, when we are when we train and we work in dance we're not always that good at um, evaluating ourselves in a realistic and positive light so some of the things that you can do to help build self-confidence include focusing on accomplishments so recognizing what you did well not just pointing out the bit where you made that one mistake in that otherwise amazing performance um, but really focusing on what you did well preparation practice knowing that you've done everything you could to ensure that whatever you're doing is going to work out for the best and that means planning as well and being realistic about what you can do and when have lists of things to tick off if that's the if that works for you that can kind of really build confidence and also help you to look at um, your goals and i'll talk about goals in a second acting confidently it does work you know especially if you're in a kind of um audition scenario or a networking event put yourself forward as if you are the sort of you know that Beyonce's got an alter ego doesn't she maybe you could create one for yourselves as well um, and certainly thinking confidently too so replacing negative thoughts with positive ones and it sounds so easy and it's not easy it's something you really have to practice because we often have what are called automatic thoughts so and these may tend towards the negative um, and sometimes you might be surprised if you really tune into your sort of internal narrative of how negative you can be and especially towards yourselves we are our own harshest critics so it's about being a little bit more conscious of the things that we tell ourselves, the messages that we tell ourselves, and to try and start actually being more aware that when we do start thinking negatively, try and stop that thought and replace it with something more positive. So even if you think, oh, that audition was a disaster, I did so badly, I can't believe it, what if everyone must have thought I was just terrible, I'm so embarrassed, and you get yourself in a kind of negative spiral, you can stop and think, well, actually, I did actually do quite well in that one section or actually I think I did my best but the material wasn't what I was expecting and it didn't quite suit me you know there are ways that you can try and turn things around a little bit using imagery as well can really help with that so imagining something difficult going really well um, and I think that's really useful in any situation if you're auditioning or if you're teaching for the first time or teaching a new group if you're presenting at a conference whatever it is imagine it and imagine as much as you possibly can in as much detail as you can and see it going really well and feel it going really well. And then the last thing that's really important in terms of um, building self-confidence is goal setting. So setting goals that are smart goals. If you're not sure what that is, Google it, but you, I'm sure most people will be aware of that now. The, the point is that they're specific and that they're measurable and that they're realistic. And the idea with goal setting is not to set a million goals because that's too difficult and don't set goals for every area of your life. You will turn into a perfectionist. I certainly don't recommend that, but setting certain goals that actually you can monitor your progress. And when you do that, that'll also help you to start focusing on your accomplishments and feeling good about your achievements and recognizing what you've done well.
even sat here because I freelance teach and that's even helpful for me like I'm sat here thinking I'm going to go look into some of those a little bit more um so that's great thank you so much um you mentioned a little bit earlier on about different career stages for freelancers so could you tell us about the characteristics of each stage and how the challenges differ for each stage and also what could help dancers differently in each one absolutely so yes we had sort of three discernible career stages emerge from our analyses to early, mid and late. Um, so I'll go through the sort of characteristics of each one, first of all. So early career freelancers that we spoke to talked about feeling a bit unprepared. So they may have felt that they were in a kind of a nice safe bubble in their training and then suddenly they went out into the big world and didn't really know what to expect and didn't fully understand perhaps infrastructures and whatever it is they just didn't quite feel ready um they also described applying for everything so they weren't being just sort of discerning in terms of what they were trying to get they were going for jobs and, and projects that weren't necessarily falling within their particular interests but they felt that they just had to go and get work um, some of them described difficulties managing time so that's what happens if you apply for everything you might get everything and then you know you have to try and figure out how on earth you balance all of those things together um, and also some of them talked about feeling pressure from other people outside of the dance world in particular who didn't really understand freelance working and they would have comments like well when are you going to get a proper job and those sorts of things and I'm sure many of us who work in dance have faced those sorts of questions over the, down the line but um, certainly that seemed to be particularly for, for those who were freelance that it was quite hard to describe and in a way justify that choice to people who were outside of the sector. In moving into the mid-career, freelance started to develop more confidence. So having that, that more kind of awareness of understanding, actually, I have value. What I offer is important. I can make a good contribution and I don't have to apply for everything and I don't have to accept everything. So a feeling of having more choice over the work that they applied for and in turn then took um, and developing some ownership over the work as well. So it was it became about, well, why? Why do I want to do this? Not just I just need a job. So it's a kind of slightly different mindset. Time management continued to be challenging and some felt a pressure to maintain levels of success. So if they got some some funding for a piece, then there was a feeling of, well, next time I have to get more and it always has to be more and bigger and, and that sort of thing. And some also talked about feeling a bit pigeonholed. So um, they might have been performing and then they ended up teaching for a while and then in their particular geographic area they were known as a teacher when actually there was more to to it than that and there were different kind of examples of that sort of versions of pigeonholing but it was evident that as dancers and freelancers became more experienced they generally developed a greater sense of confidence about their work um, and through building their reputations they were able to work more autonomously and pursuing their own artistic vision rather than those the visions of other people um, and making choices about what they did in relation to their own priorities rather than feeling a necessity to say yes to any opportunity which is often the case for more early career freelancers and then into the late career then um, late career freelancers reported feelings of self-assurance um, and really feeling that actually yes I know who I am I know what I do and I judge myself by the people that I care about they were really happy as well into the sense of they 
felt they'd built a positive reputation um, in the industry. They had an increasing sense of autonomy in terms of it's that all about that sense of choice and control. Um, and they were at the point where many of them actually wanted to support other artists. So they were really getting interested in developing other individuals, um, particularly other freelancers. Some did talk though about how sometimes less funding was available when you are more established, it can be more difficult, ironically. Um, and some talked about a shift in priorities, particularly if they had a family. So um, for instance, the unpredictability of um, working patterns doesn't really work very well when you have young children. So some of the freelancers talked about perhaps changing the ways that they worked in order to um, try and have the best of both worlds, as it were. And you also asked what might help freelancers at different stages of their careers. Um, um, one of the things we found in our large scale survey is that early career freelancers wanted more business support. They wanted more studio and workspace at affordable rates, and they wanted more networking opportunities. Uh, Mid-career participants also wanted business support and more affordable CPD, so professional development opportunities. Um, and late career participants wanted, again, more business support, um, financial and funding support and mentoring or coaching. Um, and these findings could be very helpful to organisations who, who might be able to tailor their offer to freelancers at different stages in their careers. But it's worth noting that at each stage, more of the kind of business and administration related support was desired. Yeah, that's great. And I think as I was listening then, what I was thinking is it highlights a lot of the positives of freelancing, as well as being in amongst all the challenges, which I think is really important. And um, what are the most important things that you would suggest for dancers to learn or establish if they're freelancing to help themselves? It's a great question. And just to very briefly come back to the point you just made. Um, yes, I totally agree. And one of the things that we wanted to highlight wasn't just that freelancing is really hard. It's that actually there are great things about freelancing, especially in terms of things like autonomy and fulfillment and, and personal satisfaction. Um, but it's more about, well, how can we support freelancers to, to have all of those things while also being able to pay their rent and what have you so I'm really glad that that's kind of coming out as well because I certainly didn't want to do this podcast painting a very negative picture um so we uh, we asked freelancers what kind of support they used and what kind of support they'd like more of so that's a kind of to firstly just give you a sense of what uh, we were told and the most regular forms of support that freelancers used were regular technical skill maintenance and development so technique class for instance and networking events in terms of what they wanted, the largest category was related to business and administration support and more financial support as well. So, for instance, things like short courses in creative businesses, um, as well as support with fundraising or writing funding applications. Um, and some participants said they would also like more healthcare um, and assistance with childcare because a lot of the time childcare is not very flexible. So it's quite hard to fit with a freelance career. So for anyone who is listening um, and is thinking about going freelance or just starting out, I suggest thinking, first of all, about which networks you can join locally and nationally um, that might help you to meet other freelancers, um, connect with opportunities and start creating opportunities, too. Um, and also to think about whether you might be able to take some courses to develop the business skills that freelancers need, but that don't tend to be offered in dance training. So, for example, there's a website called and it's literally just called this, free courses in England. 
that's what it's called. Um, and they offer, as the title suggests, free courses. Um, and there are things like principles of business administration and creating a business startup. Now, I haven't done these, so I can't vouch for whether how relevant they are to a freelance career, but it might be worth a look. Um, also see if organisations like One Dance UK and People Dancing um, offer resources or webinars that will be relevant to you and join their networks as well as getting in touch with your regional dance agencies, um, local educational establishments and other local network so um depending where you live there's you know you've got birmingham dance network kent D dance network um and also i would say think about how you can articulate your unique artistic vision or offer as this is something that freelancers can sometimes struggle with you need to learn how to sell yourself and again coming back to that idea about self-confidence it's not something that we are necessarily encouraged to do in dance but it's so important finally i would suggest thinking about finding a mentor somebody who can offer advice and inspiration who might be able to introduce you to others or who can help you in your career it could be a tutor um, teacher a colleague or a peer or there are um, formal mentoring schemes as well such as those offered by one dance uk um, and there's also something called the graduate mentor program which do have a few performing arts mentors as well so that's worth taking a look at yeah that's amazing are there any specific resources that you would recommend for freelance dancers yeah, in addition to the networks and organisations I've mentioned, you could have a look at the Dance Professionals Fund, um, Dancers Career Development, there's something called the Freelance Task Force, which has a dance group, um, and something called Fund Freelance Dance, and some of these um, things have, have sprung up as a result of the pandemic, so it's worth um, getting involved and getting in touch with those people. Yeah, perfect. I just said um, off air, but I'll say it on as well. I'm a freelancer and I've taken so much from this podcast. I think it's just so relatable and I hadn't really thought about it before um, and so useful. And it feels like a very, this will be the last episode this season, apart from a wrap. So it feels like a very fitting end. So thank you so much for your time, Imogen. Is there anything else you'd like to mention or discuss today? Just one last point, um, coming back to this idea about, you know, we're thinking about the positives, not just the negatives. Um, and I think one of the main findings to emerge from our research is that freelancers make a huge huge contribution to the dance industry and beyond but this isn't always reflected in how they are necessarily treated or valued so I'd encourage anyone listening who works for, uh, works for organizations that hire freelancers to reflect on things like their rates of pay whether or not they pay expenses things like that um, and I'd also like to encourage any researchers out there or budding researchers out there to continue with this trajectory of research as I said there isn't much out there um, especially in light of the pandemic the findings that I've discussed today come from pre-covid projects in the pre-COVID world um, and the landscape may be changing for better or worse we've yet to see but that re represents an important and exciting area to continue exploring so uh, please those of you who are out there and are interested in this area start looking at what you might be able to do or get in touch with me I'd love to hear from you amazing yeah and I can link a lot of those resources and also your contact details in the show notes down below if people want to reach out and um, thank you so much for your time today Imogen it's been great to chat it's been a pleasure thanks for having me useful resources and contact details are in the description box down below thanks so much for listening and tune in again next Monday for another episode of Dance.